1: One of my favorite parts of this whole experience is coming into this room afterward and hearing what you think about a person.
0: I'm deeply impressed. I don't understand reality television, so I don't get it. But finding out what somebody does after becoming famous at 16, mm-hmm. and then she's like, oh, I did it, you know, eight or nine years. I'm like, that's a long time to be a household name for that long and then decide, oh, no, I... I I'm going to put myself out there and do something completely different. I'm I'm really impressed. What do you think?
1: I mean, all, totally impressed by her, which she's built as a business. Each of these conversations takes on a different tone. My first feeling was, here's CEO person. Are we going to be able to get to know a person here? Or is there someone here to sell us something? Mm-hmm. And I'm familiar with CEO person. I found myself in my head trying to figure out like, How do we get to the like, how do we get to that other shit, but also at the same time knowing this is really, this is like really important subject matter, specifically in your life right now, you as Julie, don't get in the way of what's important here, which is like, I think Julie probably needs to connect to and talk to someone else who is
0: kind Uh, of in some
1: similar shoes to hers.
0: You're re- that is very generous of you, Chad. I really appreciate that because I did. I was thinking to myself, oh, I could just ask her business questions all day. But, uh. you know, we are interested in how people make room in their lives, how people shove one thing aside. And I think that with Lo Bosworth, she did make a conscious decision to step away from and step back from this persona, this reality television persona, and and step back from making herself the product. And I think that that is a really interesting conversation, whether you've ever seen Laguna Beach or the Hills, which I have not, and nor have you. (laughs) Yes. We've never seen it. But here she is running a huge company. She raised $25 million. And how do you... I kept thinking last night when I was reading her, your favorite word, dossier. I was like, (laughs) who gave her permission and she seems to just have that confidence, but I appreciated her vulnerability in talking about that, her, her dark moment. With that, the queen of vaginal health, Lo Bosworth on Quitters.
2: I'm such a fan of both of you. How are you? What? Thank you. That's
1: true. Hi, Lo. Like each other. Low. Have you all met already? No, never. Okay. No,
2: I, but I'm a fan, obviously. I've seen your delightful show, and it's so funny, and the podcast is
0: great. So thanks so much for having me. Well, thank you for, for taking for the time. Here, we really appreciate it. And yeah. um, we're really excited because you are a... Do you can I say you're a boss bitch? Do you like that, or do you like no? That is not an okay terminology. You get to you get to name yourself. It's totally fine,
2: but um, I think people have been moving away from like girl bossing because it's come become this like controversial <laughs> term, and it's you know speaks to privilege and all of these different things. And uh, you know, I don't, does girl I'm boss just,
0: speak to privilege in what way? I. Th- I
2: think that it does because I think generally like most of the girl bosses that have been highlighted over the past couple of years generally are white women who come from a background of privilege. And so Mm. I think it creates a space that is not
0: particularly inclusive for other types of founders. While white women are certainly not as marginalized as black women, it is not I, I think of women as being marginalized in the business world and that it is uh, any any woman that's getting ahead. I am pro. I love it. So I, I like that you are recognizing that you want to make space for everybody, even in the uh, lexicon. So thank you.
2: Yeah, I think it's especially important in the wellness space. The wellness industry and category was, you know, created by four white women generally. And that has been changing a lot over the past couple of years. But that's Part of the the general discourse that I think as a founder I try to have you know conversations about with people and just bring awareness to it. Right, if you think about a lot of wellness
0: brands, you know, you see a lot of white faces. Well, when I think of wellness, I think of Goop. Chad, what do you think of when you think of wellness? White,
2: white ladies.
0: <laughs> I think do of you? like
1: what's the movie that? Uh, sorry, no, it's a show. It was a mini series. It has. Nicole Kidman in it. There are people, rich people at nine, a resort. Nine
0: strangers, nine perfect strangers.
1: Yeah, that's what I think of. Which uh certainly overlaps with what uh you're what you're saying here, Lo. Also, you, Lo. I I don't know if this is a bias inside me that I'm see- feeling and seeing, but like you look like a you look like a founder. Like you look like uh. a I don't know. You look like a CEO. I'm I, I, honestly, <laughs> you look like you. Might have started Yahoo or something or Google. Like y- <laughs> you do. Oh
2: my God! It's um, it's because I'm wearing the turtleneck. Now. I,
1: it's. I think it's more of an aura than like your actual appearance. But I think it's. I think it's pretty cool. Honestly, do you think I, that's, I that's get nice. what he's
0: saying? And I wonder if that's a function of you being literally scrutinized from such an early age. You were on camera doing La- Laguna Beach and the Hills so young. Did that. Make you more aware of how you carry yourself, how you are in the public, and how you want to present yourself as a now as a founder, which is really what you've stepped into and that and I feel like is an evolution. So I started
2: Love Wellness in, in 2016. So I've been working on it for seven, eight years now. And when I started the business, we were focused squarely on women's personal care and creating innovation in really a white space category, because in 2016, if you went to the you know CVS or whatever. It was all legacy brands. There was nothing new. There was no innovation. And I did have a platform, right? I still had an audience. And I had—I I was really passionate about the category. I care deeply about the subject matter. I find it to be fascinating. I am a science nerd. But I had all these vitamin deficiencies, and it was really affecting my health. And you know, my journey of self-advocacy at the doctor's office, getting to that journey, getting to that place of understanding what I was actually dealing with, wasn't just stress. It wasn't just depression and anxiety. I had underlying health issues that were causing my symptoms, right? And so it was that through that journey of self-advocacy and learning about what I was dealing with, which Was vitamin deficiencies, but even a step below that, gut health issues, which is like very common. I started to learn that there's so much to the category and I'm so interested in it and so passionate about it. Why couldn't I be a a voice in this space? Right. And it's interesting because I've started to make more TikToks lately. And as everybody knows, TikTok is a very different social media platform than Instagram. TikTok is like, It's wild, right? (laughs) It is
0: so wild. You don't control what you see.
2: You don't control what you see. In in what what sense?
1: I'm not, I don't know. So
2: I made um, a video recently because I had a book come out and the book connects the gut-brain-vagina axis and it demystifies the science behind it. And we point to our board-certified doctors and a board-certified dietitian who created a plan to help women heal their GBV axis. And when I talk about the subject matter on TikTok, because, right, I've owned the company for eight years. I care about it. I should be educated on the subject matter. People come at me and they're like, what are your qualifications? Uh. Like, well... (laughs) I'm actually a founder and a CEO. I'm not your doctor, but I know about what I'm talking about and I have a platform. So I should be able to communicate information to you. And you have to remember, as somebody who is viewing videos on the internet, that context is everything, right? Just because I make a short video about a topic does not mean that I'm trying to be controversial or inflammatory or I'm right or I'm wrong. In general, this space can be controversial. And I was thinking to myself this morning, I thought, you know, if the founder of Hymns Mm -hmm. was making TikTok videos, would people come at him and say, what are your qualifications? Like, why are you somebody that can run this business? And so I think for me, I'm overcoming the reality TV narrative and just the, you know, building a women's business narrative in general, you know, but we're trying to explain that what we're doing is valid and someone who was on TV can be a founder and an operator of a business, right? This is my job that I've been doing for the past eight years.
0: So. so, do you? So you just said something that one of my favorite quits, and that I always talk to anybody who's been in the public eye, and that's almost everybody that we've interviewed. Is yeah, you just said you read the comments, and I quit reading the comments uh, like day two of social media. Chad ha- and I talk about this. And like, we go back and forth. Like, do you read the comments? Like it, sometimes you feel it, you can't help yourself. Where do you stand yeah. on that?
2: I try to be somewhere in the middle because if you read every comment, you need to go to therapy every single day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and if you don't read the comments, you have no real sense of what people around you think about you. <laughs> right? So you have to <laughs> read the comments to a certain degree to understand that perception of how you're communicating and what you're saying. And it's interesting because I've actually, in a very short period of time, changed the way that we're creating content at Love Wellness by always talking about, you know, our doctors, our experts, our whoever at the top of the video. Otherwise people are like, who are you? What is this about? You know, people want that sense of satisfaction, but also safety and security, because these are personal care products. So I understand, right? If I saw some girl who was on reality TV, I would want to know who was behind the business and the qualifications. So it's a fair question, but I am learning as I go how to present myself on a public platform in 2023, which is very different from 2016.
1: You're CEO. Formerly a reality TV star, I've read we have a little dossier of research that we're using, you know, as background for me. Because I am going to be honest with you, like I, I have no relationship with you as a reality star. I've never seen you on TV before. I am just being completely honest. Like I've never seen you until I got this dossier, and I very much believe. I am telling you because I think it's cool. I am not saying it (laughs) obviously, you know, to to um, you are two super huge yeah shows, so. But I, I, I'm saying that to say I have no relationship to you outside of you as a CEO. Julie is a is a performer. She's a producer. She too also now is a CEO. Like I want to ask you about identity. Did you at some point have to? Did you feel like you had to choose the identity of CEO and step away from the identity of TV star, or did or have you always just been low and whatever you are is what you are?
2: Identity has definitely played a role in it for me when I was on reality TV. I was, you know, a, a supporting, I, what do you call someone on reality TV? A character? Uh, <laughs> I have no idea. Character? What do
0: you call yourself? What
1: I is star, I, pers- I think.
2: Personality? Yeah. I was always more in a supporting role. And back when I was in high school and first cast, I talked to Adam DeBello, who is the executive creator. And I said, Adam, I'll make you a deal. I will do the show as long as I don't have to really get in the mix and date boys on camera <laughs> and really share my personal life. Because I think at the time I was just a child and I was embarrassed to share that stuff with the world. Ultimately, in hindsight, I think it was a really helpful decision for me in the long term because it has helped me kind of move forward, right? I have less things stuck to me, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, that relationship. Oh, that drama. Oh, that thing. And so for me though, I it turns out I was not particularly comfortable being on television. And so I did it for eight or nine years and it was a great job, right? I was 20 and I was getting paid a lot of money to be on TV. And so I thought, this is an incredible opportunity. I'm not going to say no. I'm not totally comfortable with it. But Pandora's box is open. So how do you make the most of it? And I ended up moving to New York 11 years ago because I think I was trying to run away from Hollywood and mm-hmm. from entertainment because it made me uncomfortable. It doesn't make everyone uncomfortable, but people knowing who I am and staring at me and talking about me, it's not the best feeling. It does not fill me with joy, mm-hmm. right? Um, and so I think I have been trying to move away from my past and create this new identity, right? And in the position of a business owner and operator CEO, that has certainly helped, but that's not a role that I'm playing, right? This is, I think I have always been an entrepreneur and probably would have always ended up running a business. And so this is where I feel naturally the most Comfortable.
1: I mean, there's so much already to unpack in what you just described. Yeah, you were 16, and you told the producers, "I will do this show if." How did you have the agency? I'm 34, and I have a really hard time telling somebody like, "I'll do this if,
0: if. you yeah. do that."
1: Like, how did you even <laughs> find the the gall, like the, the the agency, to tell somebody that as a teenager?
2: Oh no, just always
0: uh, been bossy. But
1: <laughs> is but that we... true? <laughs>
0: No, but you were I, 16 and there was no such thing. I mean, the only reality television at that point was MTV. There was like Road Rules and maybe Big Brother kind of. Was there, was Big Brother maybe back then? There wasn't that much like Laguna, um, Laguna Beach when it came on. There wasn't.
2: So, Honestly, the only thing I can say is that I did not have this like profound understanding of the future. I just was too embarrassed as a kid to want my parents and my community to see me doing otherwise private things on television. I, when I think about why, that's really why. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: So but that was a stroke, stroke.
2: It was not a stroke of genius. <laughs> it was but just, that I'm is, so uncomfortable that this is, these are my terms. <laughs> and yet
1: that I think that was says something about who you are though. I, I do yeah. like to even be able to say I'm uncomfortable is really, that's profound.
0: It is literally trusting your second brain, your gut. It is quite literally that, that like, uh, they say, you know, and this is just pivoting back to what you're doing now, that our gut is our second brain. And I remember the first time I heard this was on Radiolab, which is two scientists, so they actually know what they're talking about. We have more serotonin receptors in our guts than in our brains. So this idea that trusting your gut is literally trusting your intuition and your feeling is really valid. And What I wanted to ask is one of Chad's favorite questions, and he was sort of saying it, but I like to steal from him because he's really smart. Thief. Who gave you permission to be that 16-year-old? You said, oh, it's just always that way, but somebody built you up and gave you that permission.
2: I have brilliant parents, and I have a great family support system. And we were always taught how to communicate well, how to negotiate. You know, my dad was always the president of a company or the head of sales at a company. And so I think that background in how you present yourself to the world and understanding how important that is, I think definitely played a role in my thought process. Yeah, I, I have wonderful parents. They were squeamish about me being on TV. I got to yeah. say. They were squeamish about it. But, we, but also, we didn't know what Laguna Beach was going to be. We thought it was maybe going to be an episode of, like, true life. I'm from Orange County. (laughs) (laughs) And instead, it was something completely different, completely different. But it has shaped me in really profound ways. And you're absolutely right about the gut-brain connection. We talk about it in the book, which is right Right there. Right over there. And it's because of the incredible vagus nerve. The vagus nerve is the wanderer nerve. It is basically a fiber optic cable that runs from your gut through your brain into many organs, into your cervix and uterus. And that gut feeling that you get when you have an emotional experience is because of the vagus nerve. That's your vagus nerve sending messages back and forth. And you're right. 90% of your serotonin is created in your gut. 10% is created in
0: the brain. Two questions. One, what happens for men? Because if ours goes into the cervix and into the vagina, the vagus nerve, does the men's go into their scrotum and penis? Is that, do they have a similar structure? I haven't studied it. I don't know. I haven't read about it in men's bodies, but probably. (laughs) That's really interesting. That's really interesting. So what can we do to actually activate our second brain?
2: So the vagus nerve, you can do bagel toning exercises. And Wim Hof, the guy who loves cold therapy, is the king of toning his vagus nerve because cold therapy is one of the best things you can do. (laughs) Singing is also great vagus nerve exercise, chanting, like making ohm sounds. And in terms of like why you actually feel it, I'm not totally sure, but you know, the exercises strengthen the actual nerve so that those connections remain strong, generally speaking. So toning your vagus nerve, especially as you get older, is really important to keep your brain sharp and to keep your brain activity managing organs in your body, right? Telling, telling them what to do without you literally telling them what to do.
1: <laughs> you didn't want to be a part of Hollywood anymore basically. uh, You wanted to come to, you're here in New York. I'm also here in New York. You wanted to have a little bit less of like people in your private life and people wanting to see what's under there. Was there anything like, were were there any inciting incidents or were there any like real mental turning points where you decided, um, like, no, that's enough of that. I, I think I've had enough of that. I think I want a different life.
2: We all have these um, fears that come down to really our survival needs and instincts. If you like read about where all of our fears manifest from, it's really like, do I have a home? Can I put a roof over my head? Can I eat food? Am I healthy? It comes Mm -hmm. down to our basic survival instincts. And for me, I've always been really concerned about security. And I don't know why, right? I haven't, like, unpacked enough in my childhood to understand why. But for me, being in entertainment didn't feel secure in any way, shape, or form. And Julie, I'm sure you know this, right? You have to get picked to be on a show. And you can get fired the very next day. And there's very little security in the entertainment industry. And that, to me, always felt really like a very, very huge uphill battle. Mm -hmm. And I thought… I don't always want to have to be picked. I want to be able to pick myself. And so I think in the same way that I did a lot of self-advocacy with doctors for them to hear me, I like ha- I did that exercise with myself, right? When I considered what I wanted to do with my life because actually when I came to New York, I'm very passionate about cooking and nutrition. And I went to culinary school and my talent agents at the time were like, you should be the next Martha Stewart, like <laughs> you should have a cooking TV show. So I went to culinary school. I got trained. I made so much food content. And then food <laughs> channel cooking, after a lot of conversations, sort of getting into negotiations, changed their mind. They're like, actually, we're not interested in you as talent anymore. Oh, wow. And hmm. it was really heartbreaking. And it was at that point that I started to become physically unwell, mentally unwell. Hmm. And eventually I started love wellness as the result, right? So it's like I had this quarter life crisis from a career perspective, and that was kind of the final straw. I was like, okay, I cannot rely on this industry that does not want me back. I have to do something with myself and create something for myself.
1: Um, That's a mouthful. I... (laughs) Similar... I mean, it is. there's, There's like... I just want to go a little deeper into that same hole. Like, Hollywood, I'm a little bit of an appendage to it and not like in the heart of it the way that you were or Julie is. But it really is really shitty, and it really mm. feels really bad to be a part of it's, and
2: it's mean, yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> and so because of the the, <laughs> the irony to me is like you were like, Hollywood feels too exposed, too risky,' too painful. so I'm going to be an entrepreneur, which is also extremely exposing, risky, but not, you know, but not at the same level. So you had your heart you had your heart broken by this cooking show. And then is that literally what pushed you into mental and physical, I don't know what the word is, unwellness?
2: It certainly contributed to it. The stress of that experience contributed to physical symptoms of discomfort that I was already beginning to experience. But any kind of trauma or stress definitely you know, raises your cortisol and exacerbates things that you are already feeling in your body, right? Mm -hmm. It takes something and it turns it into a hyper-inflammatory response in the body. And so, you know, coming out of that experience, you know, I was depressed, I was anxious, I was also going through a really bad breakup at the time. So it's like, just keep piling things on top of one another. (laughs) And I was in a very bad place. But doctor after doctor was like, you're just depressed, you're just stressed out. It took 18 months from doctor's appointment one to doctor's appointment, whatever, and a number of different specialists for somebody to run a basic blood panel to check my vitamin levels.
0: Are you kidding? No. Nobody ran a basic blood panel for 18 months? 18 months. That is... That is... So unacceptable to me, I'm enraged. Did you not know to advocate <laughs> for that at the time? Did you learn to advocate no. for that? That's insane. at the time I didn't know.
2: And so I was in a cycle of just going to the doctor. Here's Prozac, do some therapy, get exercise, et cetera. And I think it's because I am a woman. Women have women have to advocate differently for themselves. And there's so many studies, right? If I go to the hospital, and I say, I'm in pain, it's going to be evaluated differently than a man that comes to the hospital and says, I'm in pain. Mm. Like, that's just proven. That's a fact, right? Mm -hmm. So I go to the doctor, and they start to think that I am, like, a crazy person because I just keep coming back. I'm like, I'm unhappy, I'm unwell, I'm unhappy, I'm unwell. And at the same time, I was getting, like, UTIs and yeast infections. And I didn't realize it at the time, but once I started to work with very forward-thinking doctors who were open to new research, especially when it comes to gut health, that I started to get better and I started to find answers. So after 18 months of complaining, right, or self-advocating, right, <laughs> I finally get a doctor that's like, let's run a blood panel. Let's check your vitamin levels. Comes back, severe vitamin deficiencies. Severe, so severe the doctor was like, get your butt to the doctor's office right now. I need to stab you with vitamin B. <laughs> I was like, okay. And did you feel a difference right away? Not immediately. It took more than a year to start to sort of level out and feel better. But then over time, I started to realize that my sexual health was connected to these vitamin deficiencies via my gut. Hmm. Gut health problems create vitamin absorbency issues, Mm -hmm. and they also create sexual wellness issues for women because— Your gut microbiome is intrinsically linked
0: to your vaginal microbiome
2: via a process called quorum sensing. So the bacteria in your gut.
0: Whoa. You are, you literally, uh, you're a font of information, quorum, spell that.
2: Quorum, Q-U-O-R-U-M-A-M, quorum sensing. Okay. So quorum sensing, imagine it like this. Imagine your gut bacteria are Mm -hmm. holding little cell phones and Mm -hmm. your vaginal bacteria are holding little cell phones. And they're texting each other from the gut, being like, we're in great shape here in the gut. There's tons of us. There's a lot of diversity here and strains of bacteria. So guess what? vagina, you should be healthy too. You should be like reproducing to, you know, create and maintain that acidic pH level that you need down there to prevent infection and overgrowth of all these weird pathogens and bacteria and stuff. But if your gut bacteria are not in good shape, what's going to be the effect in the vagina? It's also not going to be in good shape. The gut bacteria will literally text the vagina bacteria and be like, we're not in good shape. You're not in good shape either. Mm. And it is a phenomenon that is fascinating but explains a lot of the reasons behind if you take a probiotic for women's health like mm-hmm. we make a great one called good girl probiotics why the end result is fewer vaginal infections UTIs things like that because the bacteria in one part of the body influence the bacteria in another part of the body in a
0: completely different microbiome can i ask a question sorry i am nerding out no i love this <laughs> i can i can nerd out all day but the name of the show is Quitters. And you have this, this massive quit that you sort of dance around. And I just want to drill down on that moment before, what was your life like? Where was your mind and body right before that moment? So it's post no more, no, the, the food network's not going to happen. And, and something's going on in my life. I don't feel right. Tell me about that moment and the moment of transition. Mm-hmm. Cause were you, was that a, 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 as, as Chad said, a redefinition of 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 self and identity, and then finding that you didn't know who you were. I mean, what was that moment right before you went off and started to find doctors and figure out what was wrong?
2: Yeah, I think I've always been cognizant that challenging times can be major opportunities for growth. And I'm sure I learned that lesson being a young kid on TV, right? I don't know, I don't know like the origin of that lesson, but I know that I was aware of that at the time. And I remember getting the call from my agent about the cooking thing and laying down on my bed and just crying and like crying for the rest of the day. And (laughs) it was almost like that day, if you think about like a glass of water and like I'm the glass of water from that day forward is like the water starts to spill over. And that's all my like physical and emotional and mental discomfort. Mm -hmm. It's the water like overflowing. And I just remember that it took a number of months. It took going home and staying with my parents for a few weeks. It took a lot of time laying on the ground. And then ultimately my relationship falling apart. And for me to really be at rock bottom and have to move out of my house, get a new apartment, borrow money from my parents mm. and figure out what my, figure out what my job was going to be for me to like really <laughs> get my shit together and move forward.
0: <laughs> and at that point, you're questioning again, what Chad said, like, so what is your identity at that moment? Who are, who is low?
2: I don't know. I was
0: just too depressed. I, t- I was too
2: depressed to even know what my identity was. Mm-hmm. I was just sad and I felt like a loser Because I had been rejected from this thing that I had been working really hard at for a while. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know what to do or how to carry it forward. And it was like my illness was a blessing in disguise because it gave me something to fix and to focus on and to uncover and understand. And I'm somebody that always wants to know why. And for me, I felt like what I was experiencing mentally was not just mental. It felt physical. It's that gut feeling, Julie. It's the gut feeling. I knew in my gut that something was wrong. Hmm. I just knew it. Right. And so that became my next adventure. I'm an adventurer.
1: You, you <laughs> but are. you didn't have you're, money.
2: You, you're Go an ahead, adventurer
1: Chad. and you're also an achiever. And this is what I'm curious about. I think so often when really talented, really achievement-oriented people are rejected or face failure. It's there's an instinct to like try to prove to yourself like that it wasn't you. That was a mistake somehow. Somebody else fucked it up. Mm-hmm. Like you deserve the thing that you wanted, and you, and now I'm gonna make my whole life and story about how I reclaim that thing that I wanted that didn't want me. How did you not do that? Like because.
0: Yeah, you could have gone back to the Food Network. You could and have gone, gone to another right food place. Yeah,
1: yeah. Or I'm gonna develop another show about me, and I'm gonna take this one to this other network. You could have made that the story.
2: I could have. Yeah, I think I was exhausted by what I had been going through since I was a teenager. I was just too exhausted, and I think I I, I don't exactly know when you know. Ultimately, the decision was made, but you know, as I was working on the TV stuff, I was also working with a lot of brands and creating a lot of content on social media, like paid media, right? And people are still doing it now. You can get paid a lot of money to partner with a brand. And I had this realization even through that time, I was like, this is not sustainable. Who's going to want to like hear from me when I'm Mm -hmm. my age now, right? About what water bottle I want, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's not sustainable (laughs) for somebody who doesn't have a consistent platform or audience to always expect that this can be their job or their life or their career. I realized that very early on. And I I think I had just really, I had just totally reached my limit with entertainment. I just was like, I am so sick of other people choosing for me, Mm -hmm. whether it was on the show that i was on mm-hmm. and directors and producers decide what your, your character is going to be in the background in some editing room or people who were looking at my instagram deciding okay i'm going to i'm going to pay low to talk about this product right mm-hmm. it just felt so much like nothing was in my control mm. and it comes back to that original place of like needing to be secure right needing to be able to pay my rent and yeah. <laughs> to go to the grocery store i like you know i i i worry about those things, maybe not in a rational way now, because, you know, my business is really successful. But part of me wonders, have I worked so hard? Because like, that's my like, origin fear, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. But that makes
0: perfect sense. And it makes perfect sense that you would, I mean, there's the hierarchy of needs. And when you don't feel like those are being taken care of, you can't get on with the business of, of being well, mentally and physically. Correct. You've got to take care of that hierarchy of needs. You said, I got so sick of it. I got so sick of it. Is it fair to say, and I'm putting words in your mouth, that you got sick of being the the product?
2: Yes, absolutely. It just felt cruel. And Mm. anybody that works in the entertainment industry Mm. understands that it can be Really, really cruel. You have to have exceptionally thick skin. But I don't even know if, as humans, we're supposed to have skin. This—that's this thick. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. Like, what kind of evolving are we doing here? Like we're going to turn into robots at some point because we know ourselves so well. Like we're yeah. So I mean, I we've know. been around
0: <laughs> as humans for I don't know, a hundred thousand years, and social media has been around for twelve. Right. And so, and so We've like, all had comments and, and Instagram for however long. Like, there's no way we've evolved fast enough to accept this many gut punches on a daily basis.
2: No, it's it's not normal. And I just made the decision. I was like, I just don't want to subject myself to this so consistently anymore and have this thing that I don't, that doesn't really make me feel good be the source that I have to rely on to like be safe every single day
1: right? I quit my job at Google at this point, like a long time ago, like eight years ago, not super long time, but a pretty long time ago. And what I have been guilty of sometimes is like, like kind of watching the story of my other life in my head. Like, Mm -hmm. oh man, at this age, I would have been a, you know, fucking director of such and such a thing. And I would have had this salary and I would have had this thing. And it gets more faint, I think, year over year. But like, Do you watch the story of your whatever that other life was that probably some people wanted for you in that other world and that you might have felt inert in at some point? Like, do you ever check in with that person over there?
2: Very rarely, to be honest with you. I have very few regrets about the decision that I made to make a pretty big pivot in my life. I would say that my old life and my new life are still connected because of the internet, right? Mm. Like because Uh of social media, I still have an audience and a platform, and so of course I'm going to use it to have conversations with people, right? But no, I really don't look back with regret very often. I think I made a good choice for myself. Ultimately, I'm so much more comfortable in my in my life now, like walking the streets, being anonymous. (laughs) When I'm on TikTok and people are talking shit
0: at me, (laughs) I love that. People always say to me. Uh, my mom, chief amongst them, she has this wonderful thing she says that is meant to be very nice, and I love you, Mom. But it it is—we used to, you know, at the height of sort of modern family fame or whatever, you know, we couldn't get through lunch without a lot of interruptions. And now we'll be somewhere, and she'll go, isn't it wonderful? We've been here for three <laughs> hours, and no one has even looked at you. <laughs> and you, you go— <clears throat> Yes, that is wonderful, but the indica- but there's also this sort of underlying thing that's like therefore you don't exist or therefore you're not at the height of your game anymore, and I always say, oh, I'm fine with that. I've always seen myself, I always see myself as anonymous and then when somebody recognized me or something that's more of the exception to the rule. I love hearing you say I like being anonymous because I feel like nobody believes that. Do you get challenged on that?
2: No, not really.
0: <laughs> Good,
2: but you know, I think New York is culturally different from LA in that yeah. way.
0: Yeah, you know, it really is. So, people are too cool, and it,
1: hmm. people are, are too, cool. too cold.
0: <laughs> no, they're cool. People they're are cool too, too busy. In a whole, I admit too.
1: They're not going to nerd
0: out. They're not. Yeah, they got their own shit going on. Yeah, You see so much crazy
2: shit in New York City every day that it does not matter if Lady Gaga walks past you. And she has. I was like, there's Lady Gaga. Uh Like, people here just have something to do, have a place to be, and we are constantly dealing with stimuli all over the place, right? And so, for somebody like me, I'm like, yeah, I just cruise through my day. And like, nobody cares about me, and that is delightful. It means that I have, like, recaptured myself, which Mm. is just my own person. I remember... Two experiences when I was, like, 17 when Laguna first aired. The first was at a pizza place in Laguna. And it was, like, right after the show had premiered. And, like, it was a place that I used to frequent twice a week in high school, right? Like, with my pals. And all of a sudden, people there were, like, staring at me. And then another time was at Forever 21.
0: <laughs>
2: at, the, yes. at the mall. The mall. And, <laughs> the mall. And people started following me around. And I was, like, oh, my God. I hate this. This is you so it. uncomfortable. So uncomfortable. Did you and feel
1: unsafe in that, in that moment?
2: I just felt judged, but yeah. I don't know why. It's not like they were like saying things at me that were impolite. I just was like, why are you looking at
0: me? <laughs> yeah, that's it. I, I, I totally get that. And I've talked to Chad about this because he's like, You got to love being, and Chad, you might have evolved on this since you first said it like a year ago or something, that it's got (laughs) to be great to to have all those eyes on you. And I I was like, no, I feel a sense of shame. It always feels like someone's catching me like on the toilet when they are staring at me when I'm eating or something. There's, it feels like something's inherently wrong and I don't, I can't put my finger on it, but it's not okay.
1: And and what I think I right. said, but we have it on record. But what I think I said was, I don't even think I was weighing whether it was good or bad. I was saying I wanted it. And, oh, and, yeah, you did. That's true. And I want it a lot less. Even just after a year. Yeah, I mean, probably from a year of talking to people who keep telling me that it sucks, like, from doing this show. Right.
2: Well, think about why you would stare at somebody, right? It's because, like, there's something on their face or… I don't know. <laughs> Something is atypical with what you normally see. And that's why you stare at somebody generally, or you think they're like yeah. really handsome or whatever. <laughs> but it's not because it's like not no, no, normally for good reasons that you're staring at somebody. And so if you think about that on the receiving end, you're like, why are you looking at me? Right. What's wrong with me? It
0: feels like an objectification. We used to call it celebrity petting zoo because you become a llama or a, like a cute like pig that they want to, you know, take a picture of. (laughs) Take a picture. Take a picture of (laughs) yeah. Yeah. And you're like, wait, hi. I'm like, I'll talk to you, but don't walk up and just like put a camera in my face. It doesn't feel like I'm a human anymore. And it sounds like in your, the current iteration of low, the one that you feel very comfortable in, you are not an object. You are, you are a, uh, a directive. You are the prime mover of your reality right now. Is that fair? Yeah, absolutely. So how and, um, can I ask you how you started that? Cause you went from again, so you're on the you're on your bed, you're crying, you broke up with your boyfriend. I'm I'm shorthanding it. You <laughs> asked for money from your parents, which made me like just what's worse than when you feel like you're independent then to have to take a step back. All my empathy there. And then in the cooking show doesn't go and you decide you go through your health journey and advocating for yourself at what point you go i'm going to do a business here and this is how you sit down and read a book do you talk to friends did you go to your corporate contacts from your instagram days uh, uh, there are a, a lot of different
2: parts moving parts to ultimately sort of getting to the place where i wanted to start the business and how i did that but it's when i started to have positive results on the health journey whether it was taking probiotics or switching out the types of products I was using from toxic to more clean, safe products. Because the reality is, uh, and there's not broad recognition of this, but it's growing. The idea of like bad ingredients in skincare and beauty also Mm -hmm. applies to women's personal care products, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So like same thinking, right? But back then, nobody realized that. (laughs) So, you know, different doctors, et cetera, were able to help me identify that and understand that things I had been using could actually be detrimental to my health instead of safe and effective, which is generally what we've been marketed, you know, by companies that make products like these, right? Mm -hmm. Or like, oh, you're going to like smell like a summer's breeze. It's like, it's it's going to give you an infection.
0: (laughs) It's going to strip you of all your natural uh, good good vaginal biome is what that's going to do. Yeah. Is not great. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So it was by having access to some small companies that were making some great innovation um, in women's personal care and in supplements and things like that, that I started to understand what was really going on in my body, right? That I did have these vitamin deficiencies causing a lot of my neurological problems, but that ultimately I had a gut health issue like at, the, at the base level. And that could be addressed with the help of probiotics, sure, but also with an elimination diet, which is what my, one of my doctors had me do to help me identify what some inflammatory food triggers were for me. And in the book, we recommend an elimination diet because it's the best way to understand what things are triggering for you. And then over time, right? But I started the company by cold calling manufacturers. After understanding from doctors that I was working with the kinds of products that I wanted to make to come out of the gate with, I cold called manufacturers like in New York State. And I was like, hey, this is, you know, what I want to make. Can you help me? And put together the first product offering, which was five products that we still sell all of them today. They're some of our best selling products. And, you know, used a little bit of money that I think I must have made that money I don't know, selling Instagram ads or yeah. something. <laughs> but, you know, I bought 1,000 units of each product. And that's a t- tiny, that's like the tiniest amount you can buy. Now we have, oh do runs of like, you know, hundreds of thousands of, you know, particular kind of product when we put in a PO. But I am somebody that is very entrepreneurial at heart. And like, I love building stuff. Um, I am... It's like, side note, I'm, one of my next projects is going to be a farm. And I'm like thinking about how I'm going to like make this like farm in my next life. So I like love building stuff, making stuff, ideating. And so I was like, these are the products. These are the funny product names that like get you into this universe that I picture women's wellness can be, which is colorful and beautiful and safe and educational. And based on, you know, evidenced backed research you huh. know, for products that women need. And I just, I wanted it to be attainable and fun, but back to the story. So I cold called the manufacturers. I ordered the MOQ, minimum order quantity of different products. And I built the first Shopify website myself, um, wow. did all the customer service myself for the first <laughs> two years. Mm. And I, the only channel that I used to talk about the brand was my own Instagram. I don't think we paid to acquire a customer until year three of the business, but I was able to grow a big enough business just using my own channels the first two years that we were like immediately profitable. And it was like a really interesting experience out of the gate because when I first launched, a lot of the press that came out was very like, wink, wink, like smile, like this girl thinks that she can like start a women's hey, isn't wellness this company. is cute, right. <laughs> and like, also there was a lot of, why is this valid questioning happening? But they, like now, you know, uh, the health and wellness journalists totally understand the category and understand the vaginal microbiome. They just didn't, they just weren't educated on it back then. So there was a lot of like, winking and smiling and asking, why is this valid? Right? Like, why do you need a vaginal probiotic? Like why would a cleanser without fragrance in it be important or valid? And it's like, well, it's because all the products that existed before for women are shit. <laughs> yeah. And it, whether you want or you need a personal care product, both are valid, right? Whether you need something because you have an infection or you want a cleanser because it makes you feel more self-confident in your body, both are valid. Right. right? Right. And so can you make products that are safe and effective and address both of those needs, right? Address both the want and needs that women have. And so that's what I went to work on. And over the course of the last eight years, the team has grown. I've gotten much savvier and skilled at communicating the message of the brand and why we make the products that we do. Because just like in any company or in any job, you learn over time, right? And so we've learned more. More research has come out. We've launched more products. We are now in more retailers. We're a best-selling brand at Target and at Ulta. You know, you can find us in the front of the store when you walk in. And so I started very small and now we're not very small.
0: (laughs) And that took, that means at a certain point, and because I'm I'm notoriously cheap. I have three kids in independent school. That's where all my money goes. God love them. But I won't pay for Crunchbase. Crunchbase, if you're listing, I'd love to get like a discount. <laughs> so I looked you up on Crunchbase and I could only see half the information because you know, they fuzz it out. And I'm like, she's done three rounds of financing and it has 30 employees. Is that correct? Uh, we're I think at 32
2: full-time headcount right now. And you've done. I'm looking out there at people, but I think (laughs) 30, 32.
0: And you're like in an office.
2: Yeah, we're in our office in New York City. I've raised through our Series B round of financing. So I've raised $25 million. Oh my Uh, God. Yeah, we're private equity backed. So we're very focused on, you know, fiscally responsible operation of the business. You know, we have never spent a ton of money on marketing. And, like, we're not venture backed. We like have never believed in like the throw ten million dollars against the wall and see what sticks. You know, for uh, top line revenue at all costs type of approach. So you haven't it given away. Been, you
0: haven't given away a bunch of your your company.
2: I am the ma- majority
0: shareholder. Yes, mm. Just
2: giving
1: some is, of it away to the to the private equity correct. that's coming, yes. but yeah. not
0: but not yes. as much not as you would with 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 venture with it's one thing to advocate for yourself at a doctor's office. You're the owner of your body. You can doctor shop until you find somebody who understands where you're coming from. It is a completely different thing to walk into rooms of predominantly dudes, and, but where the, the, the power structure is, doesn't look like you and Mm -hmm. ask for money and stand there and say, vagina, vagina, vagina. How did you become a person that can then also stand in front of those people with a PowerPoint presentation talking about, you know, quarterly sales and still talking about women's health in a serious way that doesn't make everybody blush and feel weird because no one can say the word vagina without getting all funky?
2: Well, I would say that... In America, when you talk to these people, they are incredibly focused on (laughs) building strong businesses. And there is broad awareness that women's personal care is one of the largest, fastest growing consumer categories out there. So everybody takes you seriously. You know, they may not want to like talk about vaginal health per se, but they are really interested in your business.
0: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> because they're looking and, at the numbers
1: and, and, and you weren't like the a, numbers you were not like a 25 year old um, little dude bro with you know cargo shorts on like you had a business already like you yeah, you already well, were well, revenue producing it, right it,
2: exactly. yeah. so I was in an extremely fortunate position that I was able to start my company on my own and I had two two and a half years worth of data and proof points to go take to people. I said, I have already proven this out. Like right. I'm profitable. It may be tiny, but I'm profitable, and there is a business and an opportunity here. And at the time when we first started to advertise on Facebook, we were getting like seven, eight ROAs on our ads, which is like crazy. Nobody gets that kind wait, of wait. Like what's a ROA? Tell tell
0: our audience what a ROA. Uh, so a
2: re- return return on ad spend. And so us. if you sorry. And Sorry, us. Sorry, what? And she us. She said,
1: tell our audience. I was like, uh, and us. And oh. us. <laughs> Thank you.
2: Yeah. Uh, yeah. You're, you're, you're ROAS on an ad. So let's say you, we all see ads every single day, right? If, you know, I spend a dollar to push you this ad, I'm going to get $7 back. Got it. If that's like your ROAS score, which is incredible. Right. <laughs> hugely profitable. Hugely profitable. So we were one of the first brands to create new innovation in the women's personal care space, and more brands now are popping up, but there they were very few and far between between 2016 and 2019. The other big players are the Honey Pot and Rail Real. I, I still don't know how to say it, but R A E L, mm. and those are the two like big competitors. And there is space for everybody in the category, which is really nice, and it's an incredibly supportive category. I was just Fortunate enough to, you know, start my business on my own and have those proof points. So when I walked into rooms, it didn't have to be about convincing people that these products are important or valid. It was much more about the numbers, as like maybe disappointing as that is. That's, we live in a capitalist society, right? And people, they give you a dollar, they want $3 back. So that's the reality of the situation.
1: I think that's, really important to be said, you've talked about sort of the democratization of the internet, basically, for entrepreneurs. And, you know, there's like one very prevailing theory of how to get rich right now for, especially for like young people, like even younger than us, which is like, I'm going to get famous and then I'm going to monetize that somehow. And I think the get famous part is often well thought through. And then the monetization part is like completely left for, um, as a mystery until they get to that first part what are the right and i think you know there's some uh well actually before i even ask a question you just got excited so can you just what what made you that say the noise
0: say the noise ah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: what what made
0: you say the noise lo i'm
2: just thinking about businesses agencies that like go out to famous TikTokers and they're Mm -hmm. like, hey, we'll build you a brand. You can Mm -hmm. own 15%
0: of it and we'll do all the work. (laughs) 15, how about five? How about two? You're you're essentially a a temporary salesperson for that product. To have actual ownership is what it's all about.
2: Correct, yes. So it's interesting, Chad, because I haven't heard that, but I believe you, right? That's very obvious that that is what's happening, right? Like get famous and then... Figure it out. I don't know. <laughs> and
1: I think I think but, sometimes the figure it out is a farce. Uh, I think what they actually want is to be famous, and they're telling yeah. themselves, "I'm doing it so that I can make this a career." But like, they, I think they really just want fame. But I'm sorry to cut you off.
2: I mean, may, maybe not. I don't know. Like, yeah. maybe people, maybe some of these people are very entrepreneurial, and they see that you know having a platform provides them with the ability to connect with an audience and at least get their foot in the door, right? Or get yeah. their proof point. So I don't think it's necessarily bad. And yes, I do really believe in the democratization of the internet just for content creators in general, right? And this goes back to my days in Hollywood, which left me disappointed, right? Because I was like, I'm smart. I have value just because you don't see it doesn't mean that I can't share what I believe with the world, right? So social media is amazing in that way, right? It's mostly free. I know you sell all your data, but, you know, you we can talk to each other on Instagram and it doesn't cost us anything, right? Like it doesn't cost anything to build an audience. You don't need a production studio. You don't need a director. You don't need all these things, right? You can just get on your phone and have a conversation. And in that way, the internet and all of these platforms are beautiful to me. And it gives so many more people an opportunity to Build a brand, right? I, I or agree. Yeah. Get and a I, job or and have a conversation. And so that way it's brilliant.
1: You mentioned your father had a background in sales. You know, obviously now you have taken the mantle as a like extremely successful entrepreneur. Where are the like, you know, for someone who is able to build that sort of platform, like a huge, pl- you know, let's say like four or five million followers on TikTok or Instagram or whatever, like where are the limitations in terms of what that can translate to in terms of? business success? Because you had so much more than just a platform. You, you know, you have product knowledge, you're curious, you're researched, you have sales, you, you know, you had, you were probably learned through osmosis sales by your father in some ways. Like what, what is like the gap in between being famous and being a successful entrepreneur using that platform?
2: Well, I think it's really, it's about supply and demand, right? It's like the thing that you want to make, do people actually want it? And that is critically important, right? I just read in the business of fashion yesterday about um, some TikTok beauty brands that you thought would be incredibly popular because of the people that they're attached to. And they were like in Sephora one season and out the next season. Really? So- Yes. And so it's about what what are you making, right? And, you know, is there an actual need for this product, right? Or is the category that you're going into already too saturated? And I think that authenticity is also, even as a layer above that, the most important mm. thing because people smell bullshit from a mile away now, right? We have all been watching internet videos for a really long time and it's very its very easy to pick up on somebody who's being disingenuous. Yes. And so if you're gonna make a product, it better tie back to who you are and what you care about and a problem that you solved. And you better be willing to talk about it and be able to get emotional and connect with people about it, right? I literally, like, we make vaginal health products, guys. Like, was (laughs) I horrified to have this conversation with people? Yes. Am I still horrified? Yes. But it's authentic. It's real, right? And so whether you want to make, you know, a clothing company because you're a fashion influencer or a supplement because probiotics changed your life. You have to again, I'm the pro. I guess I'm the product again, Julie. Well, your <laughs> vagina is the a product. Commodity. I'm a commodity again, but at this <sighs> time, at least I am 95% in control of my narrative.
0: Yeah, you absolutely are. And your product is outside of yourself. You may be using your channels and you may have used your uh, reality fame to launch it, but the, re- you know. If you sold the business tomorrow and were no longer affiliated with it, it would grow. It would continue to grow as long as the message remained authentic because it is a product that is really great and necessary. And women, if you have not paid attention to your gut or vaginal health, please do so. You said a minute ago, a few minutes ago, that you love building things. You love creating. You love ide- I- ideating. You love this press of creation. And you're thinking about doing a farm and doing some, I, I imagine, doing some sort of food nutrition aspect with that. Does that mean you would ever quit what you're doing now to pivot into another aspect of business? Ultimately, no.
2: I think. You know, for me, regardless of where the business goes in the next few years, Uh I I do believe I am the forever spokesperson, right? Whether, regardless, right? Whether we go international or we just stay in the U.S. But what I, the conclusion that I'm coming to is that I am allowed to be more than just this, right? Mm -hmm. I'm allowed to have hobbies and I'm allowed to have interests that are separate from what I do in my nine-to-five, which when you build a business, you're really focused on it for a few years. And now the business has grown to a point where I'm getting a little more comfortable leaning back a little bit. It's this next version of self-discovery that's not quitting, but it's the evolution of myself, right? What else makes me happy besides work? And I just like want to grow some vegetables and have some chickens, man, and have a community farm. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's exactly the kind of quitting we love to talk about. Cause it's not really quitting, it's it's making room. For making, what, room. It's yeah, making, it's making, making room. It's making room. And sometimes you've got to give something up. Sometimes you need to step back. Sometimes you need to full scale quit something, but making room for the things that you love is really what we we are so interested in talking about. And Thank you so much for talking to us today. Chad, did you want to wrap it up with any question? You look, at, I, I know you're thinking face and it's like, Damn. your mouth um, is chewing. No, and- <laughs> I didn't.
1: I, I, I think I, what I really liked is that, I mean, among other things is you embody a principle that's in every like twenty-two year 2000 and beyond book about entrepreneurialism, which is like solve a problem, problem that actually exists in your life. I think you like completely embody that. And it's it's just reaffirming to sort of watch your journey. And like, for me as an entrepreneur, to remember that, like stay in the problem. Like, don't, you know, don't get too cute. So thank you.
0: Thank you so much, Lo. You really are an inspiration. You know, I'm, I'm just launching my own brand right now of, of uh, tween boys uh, skin and body care. And it is so scary and so overwhelming. And it is fantastic and and, and inspirational to talk to a woman founder like yourself who did it on her own and and made it a success. So you're really an icon. We're going to put up a poster of you in the house.
2: (laughs) Thank you. That's very nice. I really appreciate the space and the opportunity to chat with you both. And I know it's for tween boys, but I want to try that skincare. No. I'm a product queen. Send it my way. It's
0: all clean. <laughs> it is all completely clean. We just got our bunny rabbit clean today too. We were very happy. See, Congratulations. Smart. you probably know what bunny rabbit clean is. Um, what is the
2: name of your book? It is called love yourself. Well, an empowering wellness guide to supporting your gut brain. Vagina teaches you how the three are connected. I love that. And you can Amazing. get it on
0: Amazon or, or small independent booksellers or anywhere. 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 Anywhere books are sold. Well, we (laughs) love that. Go buy it. And thank you so much, Lo Bosworth, for joining us at Quitters. Thank you. Thank you, Beau. Thank you.